Welcome to Practical Theology, a podcast series by Battle Creek Friends Church. Our hope is that by listening, you feel equipped in your faith to speak out in confidence about what you believe and live it out. We're here to help you seek the Lord throughout your day. So here's your host, Bible teacher, father, husband, and guy who likes cookies, Leo Wilson. Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Practical Theology. Today we begin a discussion on God, morals, and ethics. This stems from something that we talked about the last three episodes. We got into the conversation about Romans chapter 13 and obeying leaders and, and the fact that God appointed leaders. And then during that conversation, I made a statement. I said there were exceptions to Romans 13. And the exceptions I said were in the order of moral conflicts. In other words, God says... You should not do A, but a world leader says you need to do A. And then all of a sudden there is a moral conflict because now God has said obey the leader, but he's also said do this and the leader's contradicting this. So now what do I do? Well, instead of just leaving that out there, I'm going to address it. Uh, In order to start that though, what I want to do is start talking about morals. And I'm going to go through the exercise of an apologetic argument, uh, one of the arguments for the existence of God called the moral argument. I'm going to go through a basic one, and the overall goal of this isn't to go through the apologetic and master the apologetic. I I enjoy apologetics. I think it's fun. I think it's beneficial. It'll serve as an internal apologetic, which means it should serve any Christian listening to this to reaffirm their values and faith in God, but specific in the category of morality. The argument goes like this. If God does not exist, objective moral values do not exist. That is premise one. Premise two, objective moral values do exist. And the conclusion is then, therefore, God exists. By going through these first two premises, we will exercise our concepts and understanding of morals, and then we will jump into the conversation of ethics, which is when you have to apply those morals to make a decision. How do you do that? So along the first lines, maybe I should start with a uh, little asterisk inside of the podcast and say, This is not a statement about whether or not you can be a moral person if you're not Christian. A lot of people take that from this argument and say, you're saying that only Christians can have morals. That's not even the point. As a matter of fact, that would actually be missing the argument. In this case, we're not talking about whether or not a person can be moral. We're talking about the standard of morality, whether or not the standard of morality exists. Anybody can listen to a standard, even if they're not playing a game, for example, I'll start off with the example of basketball. If you um, make a a shot in basketball, right? You put the ball through the hoop. Does that make you a good player? What if you never dribbled the ball? What if you didn't know there was more than one hoop, for example? What if you didn't have any other teammates that would be playing with you? That wouldn't make you a good player at all. The definition of good and what it would mean to be a player in the game would be defined by the rules of the game. And without the rules... You couldn't know if you were good. As a matter of fact, without knowing all of the rules, you couldn't tell if you would be a good player or not. Taking that example just a little bit further, uh, imagine the storyline with Calvin and Hobbes involved, for example. Calvin and Hobbes, a kid's cartoon character um, who has an imaginary tiger named Hobbes, and Calvin has this game called Calvin Ball. 
And it's frustrating for Hobbs because whenever Calvin is playing Calvin Ball, the games of Calvin Ball change right in the middle of the game. Uh, when you're supposed to do this, all of a sudden Calvin says, actually, when you do that and this, you lose the game. And Hobbs is always just bewildered. He can never pull off the game-winning uh, moves that he needs to move. Well, it's because there's no standard. He couldn't because he couldn't know what to do. Only Calvin would know what to do, which means there isn't a standard, right? Because a standard would apply to everybody and everybody would know the standard. And that's how you would be able to work within the standard with other people. Uh, my my five-year-old still does this. When we were just sledding today, uh, we were racing. And apparently if I went on the right side of the tree when we were racing, I automatically lost. And he was insistent upon this, although that rule had never been discussed uh, until I beat him on the right side of the tree. So we can just understand that from that simple example, start to go into the topic of, okay, standards and morals. So let's jump this into this idea of morals also before we jump back to the argument. Um, what about creating of man, right? What about the rules for morality when it comes to man? Just as a basketball itself can't create the standard for the game basketball, or even necessarily the position of center, or the idea of scoring and adding, these things aren't the standard of basketball. They're things that occur within basketball, but they're not the standard of basketball. In order to set the standard, you have to be outside of the game, right? Now, it doesn't mean that the inventor, Dr. Naismith, couldn't have played basketball what it means is you set the standard outside and then things inside are subjected to the standard. Like they, they have to play within the standard guides. Well, the same thing happens with creation. Uh, God creates morality, moral values. They're actually, I say creates moral values. They're part of his nature. We'll talk about that more later in the podcast. But for now, let's just understand that if he creates the standard, if the standard is in him, then we live by that standard. We don't have a say in how that standard goes. Just like the basketball players don't have a say in how the rules are, they play by the rules. If you have no standard, if there is no creator of a standard, which is going with the first premise, if God does not exist, objective moral values do not exist, if something doesn't exist outside the system, then there are no rules that have been a standard for the whole system. That would be the first part of the argument. And if there are rules, which is the second part, then we get into the idea of, okay, Where'd they come from? Something outside of the system, which would be God in the Christian worldview. Okay, so let's talk about some basics. We talked about basketball. Let's talk about some concepts from C.S. Lewis. Lewis, speaking of just and unjust, says this. Just how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of what a straight line is. What was I comparing the universe with when I called it unjust? Of course, I could have given up my idea of justice by saying it was nothing but a private idea of my own. But I did. if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed too. For the argument depended on saying that the world was really unjust, not simply that it did not happen to please my private fancies. Thus, in the very fact of trying to prove that God did not exist, in other words, that the whole of reality was senseless, I found I was forced to assume that one part of reality, namely my idea of justice, was full of sense. Lewis is responding to people who are trying to disprove God, and they're talking about the idea of evil, for example. And they're saying, well, that's unjust. Well, in order to say something's against a standard, you have to have a standard. And in order to have a standard, you have to have a standard maker. So 
that's a classic atheist problem, actually. If because atheists believe in morals too, um, it's hard to disagree with the fact that you know rape is wrong, or that torturing babies for fun is wrong. And these are extreme examples because we we want to come to just a clear agreement with people. Like clearly, there are objective moral values. Even if you have to go pretty extreme, we can all agree on those, that those are clearly wrong in any way, form, or culture. With that, if you get to that point where those things are wrong, then you define the fact that there must be a standard to compare them to. And then when you get to that, you jump into there has to be a standard maker outside of the system, and that would be God. So many times now they try to go back and say, well, look, uh, you can have a standard still. It just would be in the nature of humanity. Well, I don't necessarily disagree with that, actually, given that we are created by God. It's totally understandable that it would be part of our nature with the moral code written on our hearts, for example. And as part of his image bearers, I think that's also one of those things that we have is the understanding of the moral code. Romans 1, 19 and 20, you know, therefore, throughout all of nature, we can see him. I think that's also those virtues that we know to be inherent, these invisible virtues. Okay, so let's go to um, this objective moral values do not exist. We talked about the idea of clearly people would agree that some things are wrong. But how far does this go? Um, it, what are your alternatives? If, speaking of humanity, you talk about like the moral code, is it just based on the action? like, Or is there more about it just for the idea of the fact that we're significant or unique? For example, when uh, great white sharks mate, it's uh, very forceful. Um, and it would appear to be, in one sense, rape, for example. But we would never say that about that. I just watched a BBC channel of snow leopards and um, the female was in heat and the male uh, was very forceful and um, so much so that it actually hurt the female and she was limping. And would we say that this was a moral failure? Like, like that these animals were immoral? I don't think we would say that. I wouldn't say that. I would understand that that's part of the animal kingdom. That's part of what happens. But with humanity, if on the naturalist view, if we're just, you know, a highly sophisticated ape, how do we get into this moral standard then applied to our lives? Where does it just randomly come from? Do we really believe that it randomly comes from evolutionary creation? And, and if so, think about the, the whole idea of the different virtues and, and why is one virtue that we apply the same for everybody why why is it that all of us have the same virtues rather than some of us have evolved with different virtues and others with different you know like a different one and there aren't conflicts in that i think that's really hard to explain through that the idea of being created by god that god sets virtues and those are on us um i think becomes even clearer but once again this is practical theology if you're listening to this more than likely you're a christian and this is internal. So we're talking about things that we should already accept, but the exercise is beneficial. So how about this? Uh, real life practical examples. Um, if you thought, well, wait a minute, I don't, I don't know if morals are, are truly objective. They could be subjective, meaning that they're rele relevant from the personalized individual, that somebody can have different moral values than someone else. Think about examples where we've used the words like, you ought to do this, or give me a bite of your orange, I give you a bite of mine. Statements that you imply some justice, like what C.S. Lewis did, and then you come back around, and you expect that that would be equated back to you. One example is a friend of mine who teaches college classes um, was 
having students write a paper and he was talking about, you know, do objective moral values exist, yes or no? And the students that said no, that wrote back and said, no, objective moral values don't exist, they're subjective, he gave them an F and handed the paper back. And they said, oh my goodness, you know, hey, look, this isn't fair. You're doing this because you don't like my point of view. And he goes, no, no, I totally agree with your point of view. That's why I gave you the F. But you can't say it's not fair because if you thought it was unfair that you're appealing to some objective moral value. But as your paper clearly states, you don't believe in that. So clearly I'm okay for giving you an F and you're accepting of it. Well, quickly you can see how this falls apart for the student. Um, and they all of a sudden when your, your rights are wronged, you become an objective moralist rather quickly. Another example is by J.P. Moreland. He talks about at a Christian university, there was a student who was just like, no, I believe in subjective moral values. I, I think that what's right for one person may not be right for another individual and we shouldn't judge other people. And his Christian roommate was you know, concerned about this. And so Dr. Moreland got involved. And when they were having the conversation, they, this reason wasn't working. And on the way out, the professor saw a radio on the student's desk and he picked it up and started taking it with him. And the student said, hey, you can't do that. And he says, oh, sure I can. I, I'm more than physically able to. I, I walk, work out every day. I, I think I can take this thing. And he goes, or maybe you mean that uh, I shouldn't do it, like it's not beneficial, but actually this would help me in my studies. I like listening to different music and podcasts and whatever else. So either way, I, I think it's good. And he goes, wait a minute, what you probably mean is it's morally wrong for me to do this. And then the student actually turned around and repented it admitted he goes no there are moral values there are things in my life i just don't want to change so that's the big hurdles that some people have to overcome this idea that we know there's objective moral values and they do exist and that they're significant so on a final example the idea of combining the two maybe c.s lewis gives this example imagine if you're painting a picture and there are two artists and they're, they're painting pictures of Chicago and they're trying to get the skyline and everything else right. How would you determine which one was right or which one won the contest? You would need a picture of Chicago, right? And not only that, you might even care about timeline, like when the picture was taken. And so that standard that you have, the only way you're going to know what choice is right or which painter was better was to compare it to the standard. So that's what our goal is. Now that we've talked about this argument, like if God does not exist, moral, objective moral values don't exist. Objective moral values do exist, therefore God exists. How are we applying all of that? Well, when we get into this ethics conversation, the first point we want to make is that God is the, the person who derives the standard, right? And we best see that through scripture and teachings through probably personal conviction, but that becomes a little bit more subjective. If we just stick with the biblical understanding, which is what I'll do for the ethical portion of this, we'll get into a lot of more definitive, hey, which painter was better? Which one of these tends to work better? There'll still be some understanding and we'll have to wrestle with various things, but we'll do that and, and it'll be beneficial. The next part with the objective moral values do exist is that you need to know that during a moral conflict that there is a way to look at it appropriately, you know, and sometimes both of the situations, why it's called a conflict, a conflict is a negative term. It sucks. 
sometimes a moral conflict just sucks. It's not a good situation to be in. But that's when we really want to know how to act because when we get through the horrible situation, we can be at least at peace knowing that we did the best we could. And even according to God, let alone just if it was subjective, at least we have God's understanding and authority in it. And that would make a huge amount of peace and does for me when I have to make these types of decisions. And then third, the idea that the conclusion is that God exists, there is only one person to appeal to with morals. When you make ethical decisions in life, the one way that we really want to get down to it, what we have to wrestle with in the end, is whether or not when we meet our maker, that decision is something that would be honoring to him. We are saved by a relationship with Christ, no doubt. But we definitely want to do right by God while we're here. We're called to be an image bearer. We definitely want to represent him in the best we can. And we want to do that with reasons. We want to do that with practical theology, things that we can apply to life and tell people, no, I made this choice because I thought it was the most loving. And that brings us into what we'll talk about next week. This idea of how morals defines our ethical choices and how we can help navigate. We'll talk about several biblical passages next week where we see moral conflicts and also practical life situations with police officers, um, end-of-life situations. So until next time, contemplate the morals and show them in your life when you go out in society.